Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that. And boy, that's that's really what God wants us to do. You know, I'm always amazed. You read the uh, uh, the fellow, the maniac of Gardena, that got saved, that God changed his life, and uh, of course Jesus got kicked off of that area, and they wanted him out. He got expelled from that town, and uh, they're sending him away. And and that maniac. Uh, that had been a maniac, but his life was changed, said, hey, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 you stay here. And he said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, you go back and you tell your family and you tell your friends how I changed your life. You know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. You just tell them what God did in your life and how he changed and saved your life and how he changed you. And uh, boy, there's great power in personal testimony and uh, we need to be witnesses everywhere we go and say, hey, I want to tell you how God changed my life. And uh, it's, good. it's good for you to exercise it, and it's good for them to hear it. And uh, tell somebody how God saved you today. Uh, tell somebody, not right now, not in the pew, but, uh, but tell somebody even in the church how God changed your life. It's good to practice your testimony. And uh, I, I, enjoy, I love hearing how people got saved and uh, came to a knowledge of the Lord. Well, I'm not preaching on that this morning, uh, but I could. Uh, but open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 2. And I'm going to uh, preach the last series, or last one in the series on Baptist distinctives that we have been looking at. And we got it into the bulletin, uh, remember, this week. And, and so we got it in there. Uh, the uh, biblical authority, there's the acrostic. I've been trying to describe it, and I probably have not been very good at describing that. But uh, you see it on paper, and boy, that's worth a thousand words right there. So I'll, I'll spare you my description and uh, just get a bulletin, and you can see the acrostic there. And uh, again, this did not originate with me. It's been around for a long time, uh, but certainly it is a good thing, and I believe that we ought to know uh, why we believe what we believe. And so uh, that's really what we're looking at. Acts chapter number 2 I want to look at the last three of them, saved, the S, two, two church offices, and then S for separation, and uh, we'll look at those this morning. But we'll start off here in Acts chapter 2, and again, I'll say this again, that uh, we might uh, keep your fingers ready. You might even need to warm them up, all right? We'll turn to a few passages, and uh, it's not typical of how I usually preach or go about things, but... uh, Uh, I believe it'll be helpful for you this morning, and we'll look at several Bible passages. Uh, The Bible says here in Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 37, we'll take our text. The Bible says, now when they heard this, let me just stop there, there was a message that Peter had preached to the people that had been assembled there. And uh, there was a great group of people on the streets there, and, uh, and Peter preached a marvelous message all the way from the beginning in the history of Israel all the way up to the present of Jesus Christ dying and raising again from the dead. So verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as, call, as, as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
when they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Boy, how would you like to have been in that meeting? Boy, what an impressive, impressive thing to see 3,000 souls get saved uh, and then baptized uh, and then added. You talk about an explosive church growth. Uh, I, I can promise you this. They didn't have a place to meet next week uh, because there was no building large enough for them to meet in. They would have had to find some place and, uh, and maybe build some place. But nonetheless, the Bible go, go on in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all they that believed, and, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be here. God, thank you for health. Thank you for strength. Thank you for uh, the, the liberty and freedom that we have to gather in your house and worship you and, and open your word and freely proclaim the word of God. Father, I pray that you would meet with us uh, today. I pray, Father, that you would use me. I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that the message would be clear. And, uh, Father, that we would understand uh, why we do the things that we do. And, God, I pray that you would just... Uh, help and strengthen each believer. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, I pray that uh, your spirit would show them their need for salvation. And uh, God will thank you for that. And I pray that they would trust you today. And Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this, I want to comment just on a couple of verses. I do want to mention just verse, 30, uh, verse 38 I've noted 37, but that's not right. It is verse 38. And it says there, um, in verse number 38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There in verse 38, a lot of people uh, spur uh, Baptists, and they say, see right there, that you need baptism for salvation. And, uh, and I believe that this verse was accurately recorded. We believe the Word of God. I believe that's what Peter said. Uh, but I don't believe that Peter was adding baptism as part of our salvation. Um, and, and you can take a dozen, 30 other verses, 50 other verses, 100 other verses that show that salvation is our belief in Jesus Christ. I'll give you just one example uh, that really makes it simple and that really stands out in mind. Uh, the thief on the cross, uh, what did Jesus Christ say to him? And, uh, and he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That thief was not baptized. 
And, uh, and so salvation does not include baptism as part of that salvation. And, uh, and, and I think Peter said that. Why? Because really, in, in those days, uh, salvation and baptism went hand in hand and was often, uh, most of the time in the scriptural um, evidences that we see, it was the same day. Uh, we saw that in verse 41. They were saved and that they were baptized and, and they were added to the church. And, uh, and so that was the norm in those days. And so I think that's why Peter said it the way he did. I don't think he was intending uh, to teach that baptism was needed for salvation. And we can, we can go off the bridge and, and follow that another day. But, uh, but I, just, I just wanted to make mention of that. But I want you to, our attention to be drawn to verse number 41, the Bible says at the end of that verse, um, we'll just read that whole verse actually, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look with me in verse 47 at the end there, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so we see them that they are added to the church, and uh, and of course we've talked about the other the other first four or five things there, the biblical authority, the autonomous church, the priesthood of the believer, the two ordinances, the individual soul liberty. And this morning we're going to look at, at saved, baptized church membership. And, uh, and of course, all of those things are so important. But uh, as we look at this, uh, this is also important. There was a structure to the early church, though it was young and though it was new, there was a structure. And, uh, and you see there in verse 41, hey, that they were added to them. In other words, uh, that they had a membership that they were keeping track of. And, and in verse 47, hey, there was people getting saved every day. Man, what an incredible... I would love to go back and just be a part of that. I mean, what an incredible time to be alive. Uh, of course, a few years after that, I would not have liked to have been there because that's when persecution came and, uh, and they were scattered all around. Uh, but nonetheless, we see uh, that there was a structure and that those people were added under the church. And you say, boy, uh, why don't we see people saved every day? Um, I've been to many, many uh, people who have explained and looked at all of this and, and read it myself. And, and my understanding is this. You have to understand, in Peter's day, when he ministered uh, to those people, many of them were Jewish people. What does that mean? That means they already believed in one God, the Creator. They believed in Jehovah God. And so for them, uh, that was not so difficult to think, well, God created the world, and that there's only one God, and that Jesus Christ is His Son. Now, that was a bit of a stretch for them. They, had a, they struggled with that. But if they accepted that, well, then Him dying on the cross and raising from the dead as a sacrifice for their sins was very understandable to the Jewish mind. It just was. And so many of those people uh, would readily accept that. Now you fast forward through the book of Acts, and you'll find in Paul's day, he wasn't dealing with those kind of people. 
Matter of fact, he, he went to pagan places that would often have many gods. You remember one time in the book of Acts when Paul went to one place uh, that the people started worshiping him and saying, wow, uh, this is, uh, he's one god that came from this planet and this other guy is another god that came from this other planet. And Paul said, no, no, wait a minute. That is not it, man. I am not God. There's only one God. But you understand that their mindset. So in Acts chapter 2, man, you see 3,000 souls get saved. And then you see daily they were added unto the church. Why? Because they were by and large a, mono, that would, a monotheistic. That would be one God uh, that they believed in. And so it was not so difficult for them to, to accept the Lord as their Savior. Where you get a, uh, a polytheistic, that would be many gods uh, in one society. Uh, boy, it, it, they, they have much more to learn and accept before they can ever come to a realization that, they, uh, that, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. And we really live in a, in a polytheistic society. Um, and maybe that would not be the right word, uh, but I'll tell you this, we do live in a God-denying society. And, uh, and, and science has become the God of our country. Uh, and so uh, there is that difference. And I just want to point that out that uh, we see here in Acts chapter 2 that souls were saved every single day and they were added unto the church. Um, that's important. So we notice their structure. We notice the fact that they had a membership. Uh, listen, there's many churches uh, today uh, that, that they also have a membership. Okay, pastor, we have a membership. We understand that. Well, let me just mention this. To be a member of our church, you must be saved first and foremost. And then secondly, you must be scripturally baptized uh, and that is an act of obedience. We talked a little bit about that last week. Identification with, uh, with Jesus Christ and with God. And then baptism is to be done by the local New Testament church. That would be scriptural baptism. And so there's a personal profession of Jesus Christ. And then there's that outward expression being obedient in baptism before you can become a member. We see that here in these two verses that I pointed out. Many churches today, and I'm talking generic churches when I say that, um, they have, they have a, a hereditary membership. In other words, if your parents belong to that church and, and you were born uh, to those parents, then all they have to do is baptize you regardless of salvation and you become a member of that church. And there's a lot of churches that have that. And, uh, and so as a result, uh, those people grow up and they never get saved. They never are born again. And, uh, and you have a very unspiritual group of people that are members of what is supposed to be a very spiritual body. You see the problem with that. And so we just, I'm just pointing out that in Scripture, you must be saved and baptized after salvation to be a member of a church. And uh, most Baptist churches, uh, 
that's, that's the same. I mean, if you're saved and baptized, then you can join uh, that church. Most Baptist churches also uh, have just a way in their constitution of kind of purging membership. In other words, you know, if you don't attend church, then uh, eventually you're removed from the rolls six months, a year down the road. And, and a lot of them have that. That's pretty standard. Uh, and, and that way you're kind of keeping your membership pure and it's protected. There's many exceptions, by the way, uh, for those who are somewhere like wide-eyed. They're like, whoa, I might not be a member. Uh, there, there's many exceptions for those that are just not able to physically come to church, but they continue to support and they to try as best they can to keep in tune with what is going on. We're not looking to just kick people out, uh, but, but there are people who just leave church and have no interest in coming back to church, and they walk away from the Lord. And so, uh, obviously, uh, then at some point, that would need to purge the membership. Uh, and so that's just part of, part of it. And, uh, and that's part of a protection uh, to keep the church as a spiritual entity. Uh, God's church is the most important institution in the world. Uh, what we're doing here, uh, understand this, what we are doing today is more important than what's going on in the White House. I believe that. I'm not saying what's going on in the White House isn't important. It is important. But I'm saying there are spiritual benefits that will take place in this church that will far exceed what the White House is ever able to do. And so God's institution, the church, is the most important institution in the world. And God's work uh, needs to be protected in, as far as purity and guarded. You, you remember, if you're here on what Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Revelation and the messages that are given to the church. And you remember the church in Thyatira uh, that allowed corruption to come into the church. And what happened? Listen, a church, I said this before, can be destroyed two ways. It can be destroyed from outside side, people that would desire to shut down and destroy a church, or it can be destroyed from inside if we allow corruption in to grow up and to uh, become uh, prominent within the church, then hey, we'd end up with a church like Thyatira that would have corruption within the church. And so we're talking about uh, a saved, baptized church membership. Um, by the way, you see that corruption over and over and over uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, you see it time and time again that idolatry is brought into the nation of Israel and, and the whole country goes uh, corrupt and, and has problems. Uh, but we see here in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 47, that there is a church membership that they were added unto that church. And so we see that. That's pretty basic in Bible. Uh, go with me to 1 Timothy. And I want us to see two offices. Two offices in the church. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. They're conveniently located in one place for us. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. The Bible says here in verse number 1, so we see the, the, the church membership are saved, baptized members of the church. Uh, then go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says this, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Jump down with me to verse number 8. 
likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, jump down to verse number 13. Uh, For they have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so in the Bible, we find that there are two offices. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll dig more into the text, but I want you to see in those, at least those two verses is that it's very clearly laid out. There is the office of the bishop and the office of the deacon. And so those are the two offices that are laid out uh, in the Bible. We don't believe in apostolic succession. I was talking the other day with a, uh, somebody, and we were talking about that. It was kind of interesting uh, discussion. And and uh, and we don't we we don't believe in an apostolic succession. In other words, that the apostles they were great men of God, and uh, but they did not pass down their apostleship to another guy who would pass it down to another guy, who would pass it down to another guy, who would have, all the way down to 2022, who would have the authority today uh, to be overrule what the Word of God says. We go all the way back to biblical authority. And we believe that the Bible is our final authority. So we don't believe there is an apostleship that exists in the churches today that was a, a time and a place that God had for those men. And they did a wonderful work. They were great people. Uh, they were not perfect people. Uh, but they were great people that God used mightily. Um, let me just mention this because uh, it's interesting. I find it very interesting if you go back through the book of Acts, and we won't go there for sake of time, but uh, when you go back to the beginning, the apostles, they got together and they chose Matthias uh, to be the following apostle. Now, some people say Matthias was. It doesn't matter to me. The fact remains, you don't see Matthias show up ever again in Scripture. Maybe he was. Maybe God greatly used him. I don't know. Um, but, but I do know this, the Apostle Paul, every, almost every one of his letters, Paul, an apostle of God, called of Christ. And he shows that he is an apostle and he defends his apostleship in almost all of his letters that he writes. And God had truly chosen and selected Paul to be an apostle. And so that was a unique set of circumstances, but we don't see that going on beyond that. So in the Bible, we only see two real offices in the church. We see the office of pastor, and we see the office of a deacon. Let's look at some of these. Uh, before we do, I want to quote from a book, Why Baptist, by Jim Alter and, and Robertson, a good book. Um, and he says this, The biblical teaching of the two offices... Pastor and deacon is opposed by Catholic and Protestants alike. In the Roman Catholic institution, there are cardinals, bishops, priests, and deacons, all subordinate to the universal bishop, the Pope of Rome. He's just giving a description of their belief. He goes on and he says, The Episcopal institution has bishops, priests, and deacons, but denies the papacy. The Presbyterians makes a distinction of order between the presbyter and the ruling elders, the latter not, not a, being not a clerical but a lay officer. In these also the clergy exists as a self-perpetuating and self-regulating body distinct from 
and for the most part, independent of the congregation. And so I thought that was interesting. I thought that might help be helpful, at least a little portion of all of that uh, for you. But the Bible really only lays out two offices, the office of pastor and the office of deacon. And, uh, and we see here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, this be a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Let me just stop here and mention that the Bible mentions three words, bishop, elder, and pastor. And these three words are, are used interchangeably through the Bible. They probably one defines more of a specific work uh, than, than another, might define a different form of work, but they're all the same person and same office in that of a pastor. Um, and and the, listen, let's read down through these really quick uh, and let's look at what a pastor's uh, role is or what his qualifications are. The Bible says right here in verse number one, well, jump down to number two. Uh, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Let me stop right here. I'm, I'm not going to stop, I promise, through all these. But I just have to mention this. According to Bible a woman cannot be a pastor. Verse number one says a man. Verse number two says the husband of one wife. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so a woman cannot be a pastor in accordance with the Word of God. Let's go on. There's a whole bunch of things I could stop and say, but I, I could preach on this all day. But uh, the Bible goes on and he says, the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." And I'm just sharing with you, that's the qualifications of a pastorate. There's a whole lot that's there. There's a whole lot that we could dive into. But I'm just telling you, those are the qualifications of a pastor. And that's the office that's defined. Uh, what are the responsibilities of a pastor? Well, according to uh, Acts chapter 20, just jot that down, Acts 20 and verse number 28. There's many other verses, but uh, that's kind of one that sums it up really easy. And he's talking about pastors and he says, take heed thereof unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so uh, one of the primary responsibilities of the pastor is to feed the flock. And uh, boy, you could take the idea of a shepherd. And uh, the Bible uses that illustration over and over and over. What's a shepherd to do? He's to protect the flock. He's to feed the flock. Uh, he's to take care of the flock. Uh, he's to, uh, to, to be there for the flock. And so uh, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, but that's kind of some of the responsibilities. Look with me in verse number 8. And we see the deacons. The Bible says, Likewise, 
must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless." And we go on and, and it talks about their wives, but basically uh, uh, the, the deacon also has a high amount of, of qualifications that he must fall under and their wives as well. And, and what's the responsibility of a deacon? Go with me to Acts chapter number 6 as we look at some of these. These are the two offices that are just laid out in Scripture for us very clearly. Acts chapter 6 and I'm not, again, I'm not going to comment. I could preach an entire message on just this passage. But the Bible says here in Acts 6.1, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, remember the church had multiplied, there were 3,000 that were saved just a couple of chapters earlier, and then daily, every day, people were getting saved and being added to the church. So the church was growing un unbelievably. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and great company of the priests were obedient to faith. You go on, you read about that. And, uh, but what we find is those were the first deacons. They were chosen. A deacon means to serve. And, and that's what those fellows were. The church had grown. And, and they were saying, hey, our widows are not being taken care of and, and they're being neglected. And, and the apostles uh, that were there were saying, listen, uh, we don't have time to, to leave the study of the Word of God and praying for the membership to go and, and do these kind of things. So we need to find some guys that would fill this position. That was where the office of deacon came out. And that's where they come from. And, uh, and so that is another office. And, uh, and so that's the only two offices that we see that are in the Bible. And so we see the office of pastor. We see the office of deacon. And again, there's so much more that really could be covered. But I just want to give those to you. So the membership is saved people that are baptized, that are added to the church. And then uh, the two offices are the pastors and the deacons. And so we see that in the Word of God. The last one, again, I could spend an entire message on just this one, is separation. And listen, i got three things down that separation. Number one, we are to be separate from the world. Hey, listen, that's, that I, we preach against that on a regular basis. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
You know, the world is constantly pulling us in that direction. Every day that you go to work, every day that you're in the world, they are constantly pulling you and trying to drag you into a worldly lifestyle and worldly philosophy. The Word of God says, hey, we are not to love the world. We're not to uh, follow after the things of the world. Uh, we're, we're to follow after the things of Christ. We're to set our affection on things above, the Bible says, in Colossians. And we have to recognize that. I mean, the world pulls us in the area of dress and music and morality and, and just all of the areas. It's constantly trying to draw us to a worldly mindset. But hey, listen, we believe that we ought to be separate from the world. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this. 1 Peter 1. And again, I, I could, we, could, we could spend an, a whole hour in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. He's talking to believers here in this passage. 1 Peter 1, verse number 13. We're talking about being separate from the world. And he says there in 1 Peter 1, 13, Wherefore... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about, hey, that our minds need to be girded up. Isn't that what the Bible says in Romans 12? That the, the transforming and the renewing of our minds. In other words, there is a great mental battle out there that the world is vying for and pulling our mind against the Word of God and against things that are Christian. And he's telling us in 1 Peter, hey, that we've got to be careful in our minds and that we would gird up our minds. Go on with me in verse number 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible teaches very clearly, hey listen, there is a holiness that we ought to live holy. We don't live holy so that we can get saved. We live holy because our Father is God, we are saved and we want to walk worthy. We talked about that last week. Of, of the life that God has called us. We want to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a good way. Well, God is holy. Everything about Him is holy. And we ought to live a holy and a separated life from the world. What about separation not only from the world, but from apostasy? The world is outside. And they're trying to pull Christianity out into the world, away from God, away from the church. Apostasy, again, is from the inside. And that would be uh, that things would go bad from the inside out. And we must guard about that. Uh, I don't remember if it was an adult Sunday school class or this morning service, but I think I mentioned the church of Thyatira at one point somewhere. If I already mentioned it, humor me and listen, and well, I'll tell you it again. We ought to be careful because why? That church corrupted from within. They, they found problems. They allowed things to go on and they allowed uh, wickedness to take place. Hey, listen, we have constantly got to guard against allowing wickedness in our own personal lives because we're constantly influenced. And so we need to be separate 
from the world, separate from apostasy. And, uh, and I'll just mention this really quick, separate from government. I have to mention this, that God established government and the church. He established both of them. And, uh, and He ordained both of them. Uh, and listen, uh, they, they, are, they are to exist simultaneously and in harmony. Now that's in a perfect world. It doesn't always happen here. Matter of fact, there are times, and you could go back over history, where the government has persecuted the church of God. We know that. You say, well, Pastor, what about those things? Well, I would default to what Peter said when Peter said in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so there may come a time when government oversteps its authority and tries to reach into the realm of religion of which God has established the church uh, to, uh, to be the pillar and grounds for the truth, and, and then they would have no business there. But at the same time, listen, uh, the church is not to be uh, the, uh, uh, the controller of the government either. They're both to exist. In other words... I'll put it this way. If you have a state-run religion, you've got a problem. And if you have a church that's running the government, you also have a problem. They're both to exist equally. As Christians, we ought to be concerned about the government. We ought to vote. You ought to exercise your right to vote. You ought to, we're, we're commanded to pray for those that are in leadership. We're commanded to be concerned with those things. And so we ought to, we're also commanded to be in submission with as much as in you, lieth in you to live peaceably among all men and to be uh, submitted to the government. Sometimes that government oversteps and then we ought to obey God over man. And listen, there's things that our government says that just goes against the Word of God. Listen, the government doesn't dictate righteousness. God does. We need to understand that. And so uh, there is a separation. They can, uh, they can coexist simultaneously and in harmony, uh, but there is a separation of authority. They're two different entities, and they're designed for two different things. And so we need to understand that there's a separation. Hey, listen, as a Christian... We need to understand we need to be separate from the world. We need to be separate from apostasy. That would be Christianity that is accepting and allowing all kinds of worldly carnalness going on. And, and the, the, that church would end up with a, a powerless church, really, without the Spirit of God in that. And, uh, and so there's a separation that we need to be aware of. There's two church offices, the pastor and the deacon. And then there's saved, baptized church membership. And, uh, and that's, those are why we're Baptists. We look at all of those things. And we say, boy, they're different. Many, many churches, many religions, they don't practice those. Many religions don't practice separation from the world, from the government. Um, I could name for you probably the largest religion maybe in the world, I don't know, that's tightly tied into their government. Matter of fact, they have their own country. It's one of the smallest countries in the world. I've walked around it. Uh, it's right there in Rome. And, uh, and they are their own government. They are. They, they're the same. They're synonymous. And, uh, and we believe that there is a separation between those two things. God designed both of them. And, uh, and so those are just some areas uh, that we would differ with many, many other religions. And so, uh, boy, I hope and pray that that's helpful to you. I hope and pray that as Christians, we would live our life separate from the world. You say, well, Pastor, what is... 
being a member. Well, hey, listen, it's trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. If you've never done that, hey, listen, then you need to ask the Lord to save you. You need to ask Him. He's the only one that can save you. Our church cannot save you. I'm not a priest. I can't save you. Mary is, 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 was Jesus' mother, a good person, but guess what? She can't save you either. Baptism cannot save you. Uh, all the works and all the money that you could put towards good works in God, they cannot save you. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. That is salvation. That's the first step. That, after that, being baptized, and then you can join a church uh, and be a part of the church membership. As we stand to our feet and our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I know these have been kind of more instructional than preaching, but how important it is for us to know these things. Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. And God, there's so much written in your word, so much more that could be covered on these things. God, I pray that you would use these things that we've looked at this morning, stir hearts, encourage Christians. God, if there's those who are not saved, God, I pray that they would recognize a difference between the world and the holiness that you have. God, that they would see that and recognize that. And God, that they would desire to be holy like you. God, that they'd put their faith and their trust in you for salvation. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart. Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our piano plays, our heads bowed and eyes are closed, maybe God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord for Baptist Church church that believes in being a member you have to be saved you have to be baptized two offices a pastor and a deacon and being separated from the world there's a lot of a lot of places today they don't believe in separation they're trying to merge the world with christianity whether they're, they're two opposite things the piano plays, the altar is open. Maybe you'd say, I've never been baptized and I'd like to be baptized. We'd certainly love to have you baptized. You can talk with me and uh, we'll be happy to set up a time that we can meet and I get your personal testimony and then baptize you.